You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Being a food writer can be a dangerous job, but Hannah Selinger punches way above her weight class. Episode 60 starts now. Hannah Selinger is a diehard Yankee fan, a political activist, and a food writer, and she's on Drinking on the Job. (laughs) Hannah, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. So uh, I guess we'll start at the top. I'm a Red Sox fan. You're a Yankees fan. Let's get to how much of a Yankees fan you are. We did a live show for Drinking on the Job. Hannah came up and uh, uh, the story uh, has been told uh, so many times because it's such a beautiful story. So you were back in Boston. It was the ALCS? 2003. Mm -hmm. Um. This I, I wonder if this story was funnier when I was six months pregnant when I told it to you last. I had to help you up on stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was working at a bar, um, as one does when they graduate from Columbia and have no real fucking clue what they're going to do with their lives. Right. So the bar I was working at, I, I'm from a town called Newburyport, 48 miles north of Boston, salt of the earth as far as you can get to New Hampshire without falling into the Granite State. And um, the place I worked at was called The Grog. It's been around forever, very local, friendly pub. And on this particular night, which now I can sort of tell you, um, historically speaking, was the same time, it was the same night that Don Zimmer was pushed out of the way on the baseball field. It was that game. Yeah, you remember that game? Sure, yeah. Clemens was pitching? Yeah. And um, and that year, and we fucking hated Clemens. Yes, steroid freak who left the Red well, Sox. But even okay. though, yeah, he was yours first yes, before yeah, you give him. You to got him. Just I like will. Babe. I will tell you okay. that you know my my feeling on Clemens now is like, what fucking kind of asshole names their kids with all K names? Like that's just a really dumb fucking thing to do. But well, anyway. I think it's that kind of asshole. I think. Yeah, 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 <laughs> okay. yeah. I mean, right. I'll agree with you on that point. Okay. All right. I don't have to own him just because he was a Yankee. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> So it was that game, and um, um, the game was at 8 o'clock. So when I came in for my shift, I was a waitress. Uh, My boss at the time, who was a a manager named Ed, Eddie, said, anyone working the floor tonight can wear a baseball cap, assuming that the majority of the people there were Sox fans. Sure. Right. So I decided to buck tradition, sort of my thing, and uh, I wore a Yankees hat. And he said he was switching from day manager to whatever comes after day manager and he was drinking a maker's mark and coke in a pint glass at what time i mean this was eight o'clock or so but he'd been drinking them since three or four <laughs> right and the place is packed oh yeah i mean it's, it's, completely a, packed. it's a championship game right it's red sox yankees classic rivalry like the best baseball new right? england pub sure you know yeah and uh he's clearly drunk and he says if you don't take that hat off, I'm going to knock it off your face. Because you have a Yankees cap on. Because I had a Yankees We're hat only on. Only person with a Yankees cap on? For sure. <laughs> Why would anyone wear a Yankees hat? <laughs> Other than Hannah. Other than me. Yes. And I said, I'll go ahead, thinking that that was sort of an empty threat. And I think, you know, it was an empty threat, except that he was so drunk that when he went to knock the cap off my hat, 
off my head, he, he came underneath the, the rim of the hat and uh, hit me square across the face in my nose. So I looked at him and I said, <coughs> I had my hands over my face. I said, you broke my nose. And he said, you are being very dramatic. There's no way that I broke your nose. And I removed my hands from my face and a very aggressive stream of blood um, spewed <laughs> out like a faucet. And he started crying. Um, and I think in the live show you called him a pussy. I mean, he's a pussy. <laughs> Fucking okay. pussy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said, look, let's get you off the floor. Because, I mean, you know, mind you, I'm still working at this point. And he sat me down outside of the kitchen. And the chef came out and he said, okay, all we need to do is set your face. We just need to set it. I just need to hit you in oh. the face again. And I was like, what? okay, well, no one's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> Take me to the hospital. Um, so I went to the hospital and my nose was broken. Wow. Yeah. So I, you, yeah. You, you would think that was the end of the story, but actually I ended up dating Ed for two years and was very briefly engaged to him wow. um, before deciding that maybe this was not the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I would have to say that's a good call. <laughs> good call on Thank your you. part. Uh, I can only imagine what it's like to be in a packed bar with Red Sox fans and uh, the broken nose with the Yankee hat on your head and the streaming blood. Were there cheers in the bar? Or no. I... They didn't give a fuck. I don't they think were they like, really yeah. were watching. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were like, you know, Clemens and Zimmer yeah. and so much more going on than my broken, mangled face. Yeah. I do still have a scar, um, detectable only by hand. But. Right. That's cool. We've known each other for a very long time, but uh, people listening, give us the five minutes of how you got where you are now, because now you're a, a writer and a political writer, and uh, we'll get to the political stuff later. But uh, how did you get here? I, chance, um, no, hard work, I don't know. I started out um, as an English major at Columbia working for the school paper, thinking that I was going to be a writer. And so I took a gap year, bartended, and decided, no, I really do want to be a writer. And I went to a Master of Fine Arts program, which is like the worst possible thing you can do if you want to be a writer. Just keep in mind, kids. Why is that just so academic? That yeah, it's I mean, no one ever really told me, like, what do you have to do actually in the field to be a writer? It's nice to know how to write things. Sure. I think I probably already knew how to do that. Right. And then I, um, the natural progression of getting a, an advanced degree in writing is waiting tables. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you that. So I came to New York City and I <laughs> found an ad in the New York Times for a restaurant that was hiring. It was Bobby Flea's Bar American. and. Sure. I showed up with nothing on my resume and they said, oh, well, where did you work? And I said, oh, this little restaurant. And I made up a name in the West Village. And I said, well, you know, it closed in 1999. Wow. And so they hired me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a made up name. I made up a name Was of it a restaurant. French? Was it a little cafe? It, Italian. Italian. Uh, yeah. Good. I said, Trattoria. I forget what I actually called it. But I mean, these were this was like before the Internet was really so oh, effusive so you could really lie about stuff like the, this the beauty of those days you can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah no and so i was there for six weeks and then i got fired for texting and i got hired at a place called blt prime um as a server and i was kind of an idiot i didn't know how to sell wine i didn't understand it and so a guy named fred dexheimer said well look if you come in here one day a week uh on your day off We'll call you a seller rat, and you can learn how to um, 
organize the bottles in the cellar and I'll teach you about wine. And um, through that, I became a sommelier and I passed my certified sommelier exam in 2007. I worked as the sommelier at BLT Prime and then for David Chang and some other people and uh, moved from that to, I was a wine rep for a while for a bunch of different wine distributors and then I worked as the head copywriter for Astor Wines and then eventually I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit, I'm done with all of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I started freelancing and and I've been full-time freelancing since 2016 and it's working out. That's cool. That's very cool. Um, so you were a, what was it like being a Psalm in those years as a woman? Uh, uh, we don't have to go totally deep. We don't have to deep dive on this. Yeah, but no, yeah. Different. Uh, very different environment. I mean, uh, um, first of all, there was a lot of money when I started working. Just everyone had money. The stock market hadn't crashed yet. It was pre-08. So people were buying things on a daily basis that like you never see in a lifetime. Right. And I was able to taste things that um, even now I'm kind of astounded that I was able to taste. I mean, I remember the first time I tasted a 1982 Lafitte. I remember tricking a table of men who were clearly in their early 30s and had money to burn into buying a bottle of Screaming Eagle just so I could taste it. (laughs) It worked. The hustle. The hustle. The hustle. hustle. It was all about the hustle. And, um, and there was sort of a permissive environment and you could kind of get away with a lot of things. And uh, it was just a very different fun time, different time for sure. Fun. Yeah. Um, I think when I look back on it, um, I, I have no regrets, but I also don't, I'm not, I'm not envious of my younger self either. I wouldn't want to go back right. in time. You think it's easier today to be a young woman as a Psalm? Because there's so many, there's so many guardrails up as far as like Me Too and boundaries. Um, there were no boundaries back then. There were no boundaries. And right. I think part of that lent itself to women being kind of in on the game. Like, right. you know, we knew what we could kind of, we knew how far we could take things. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that that's like a great thing, but at the same time, I recognize that there are limitations to what women can do in the world. And I wonder if there are now more restrictions Mm. that are designed to help us that may not help, if that makes sense. Sure, it does. I mean, I think one thing is for sure, you have more female sommeliers. So when you're in an all boys club, whether it's the Catholic church, uh, you know, the Senate, um, there's a prevailing attitude of what you can get away with as a, as a man. So right. if you have to deal with more women in the workforce, the, it, there's a leveling effect that happens that wasn't around during the uh, those year in like 2003 to eight, where it was just like the very few female psalms. Um, I think there's a message of like you have to tolerate a lot of bullshit and it's a boys club. That's yeah. that's the fact. I mean, some of the right. stuff, so I look back on some of the stuff and I think, oh my God, that's completely crazy. That would never happen. Like I remember going up to a table very distinctly at BLT Prime and having a gentleman say to me, are you single? And I said, no. And he said, well, I am tonight and then took his wedding band off and left it on the table. And I... Th- at the time, it was kind of like, oh, yeah. ha, ha, you know, right, yeah. this guy's paying his bill, whatever it is, right. what it is. 
in retrospect, I can't actually believe that anybody would say that to me. Yeah. But people said stuff like that to oh, me. Oh, that's the, the least time. douchiest yeah, thing yeah. that's ever been said to you. Right, for of course. Sure. For, of course. But that, right. for that whatever yeah. reason, that one stood out because he like physically took his wedding band off left it left it on the table and said to me like oh i'm single tonight as if that were like like as if i were going to do anything with that information like i don't right. give a well, shit if you're single well you should be single every night and, you, <laughs> and by the way yeah it's still nobody's going near you your wife is such a lucky woman oh she's a lucky gal <laughs> uh, great you see you could videotape that and put it up and that guy would have like you know well and that's i left. think that's yeah. the other difference is that like when i was a sommelier phones were still kind of like I mean, I had like one of those stupid flip phones. We didn't have this sure. kind of technology. A lot of this stuff was not capturable. Right. Um, you could not get caught for doing some of these things, and you certainly weren't going to be publicly berated for yeah. it. So there is a check on it now, and there wasn't back then. Right. So um, we're going to get to the food thing, but I want to talk about an article that you wrote. It, uh, I think it's called, It Might Be Time to Cut My Right-Wing Trump-Loving In-Laws Out of My Kids' Lives. Mm. And that was an article that you wrote that went uh, viral. And what I love about it, and we'll, we can, uh, the, the best part of this I was thinking about is, uh, so R Rush Limbaugh started talking about it, Fox News started talking about it. And I thought like at your 25th or 50th wedding anniversary, <laughs> you can actually use Rush Limbaugh's audio <laughs> clip talking shit about oh, this woman <laughs> hannah selinger and they can we you could uh, splice it into like uh, some big thing and you're like you're one of the few people that could actually use a rush limbo clip or you know the medal of freedom winning rush limbo. soon to be dead yeah i mean is it okay to say that you know it's because it's a fact yeah. but um so what was that like and what inspired the article and let's talk about the feedback uh, not the feedback i mean the, the, the death hate mail. and the yeah. hate mail and all that kind of shit um um, um, what was the inspiration for that? I pitched that piece originally to the Washington Post, actually, um, in June. My, uh, I'm married. <clears throat> I'm married to, I like to call him a recovering Republican. <laughs> Everyone's recovering in my family. Okay. He has very conservative parents, um, very Catholic, as in like they go to mass daily kind of parents. And... Over the course of my relationship with them, which is now five years long, they have said a series of inflammatory things that I think they don't recognize as inflammatory. So, for instance, if I'm watching a television program with my father-in-law and someone gay comes on TV and two men are holding hands, he gets up and leaves the room. Or, I mean, my mother has said so many, like... He gets up and leaves the room. He gets up and leaves the room. Wow. Yeah, in 2020, he gets up. I mean, it's crazy, right? Right. Um, my mother-in-law, and I don't even, I think this was cut from the article, but I was talking to my mother-in-law a couple of years ago, and she said something about someone who was mentally retarded, and she said, oh, they're a mongoloid. And <laughs> Sorry. You, you know, you laugh because know, it's, it's so such ridiculous. such a weird word. Well, it's like, also just ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's such a, it's, it's a bygone word that sure. people do not use right. in respectful society, right? Sure. And I said to her, you can't say that word. And she said, I don't really understand what the problem is. It refers to Mongolian people. They're actual people. And I was like, now, if that's the connection that you're making, that's almost <laughs> even worse because now right. you're saying that like in your mind, 
there's a linear connection between people from Mongolia and mental retardation. And flaws. Yeah. Like, imagine if I said that to people who are from Marco Island, which is where they live. Hey. Well, they're, they're Markaloids. <laughs> sure, they're listening. They're Markaloids. Yeah. <laughs> they're Markaloids. Uh, but I, I will say, I, I do kind of, I love the Boston accent with there. He's a retard. I do. <laughs> you can't say that anymore. I know you can't, you but can't it's, got a, it's got almost a lyrical That's a, It's a different connotation yeah, and people true. don't get it. True, yeah. right. No, yeah. I, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so this inspired the article. So I pitched an article to the Washington Post. So they have a vertical called On Parenting. And the idea originally was like, how do you raise children? I have a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. How do you raise children in the face of family members who are who don't believe in the same things that you believe in to the point where it's actually a question of moral clarity? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not do you like steak or do you like chicken? It's do you believe that the president is a racist or do you think right. that the things that are going on in Washington are tolerant and acceptable? And they originally said yes. And when I presented them and they, I signed a contract and when I presented them with my draft, they got scared about libel and they pulled it and they gave me what's called a kill fee when you're paid for work that doesn't run. So huh. then I was released from contract and free to present it elsewhere. At that point, I had already told my husband, I've written a piece. It's, you know, the Washington Post. I had already sort of prepped him. So he oh, knew. Oh, so you didn't tell him you were writing it? No, I did. I, okay. I didn't tell him that I pitched it. Okay. Thinking, well, it's just, when you pitch, it's just a shot, right? Sure. Yeah. Once it got a yes, then I said to him, look, we need to have a conversation. You have the ability to say yes or no to this idea. I leave it in your hands. It's very and of democratic. Course, well, yeah. it wouldn't be fair for me to write about his family True. without giving him the final True. say. And he said yes. So what month I mean, was he that? Wasn't, that was in June. And uh, when they finally gave me the kill fee, I was free. And so I sent it to HuffPost. And I, I kind of knew that was going to be a yes. And they picked it up. And I also said to my husband, look, there's a difference between the Washington Post and HuffPost. HuffPost gets picked up by Yahoo and AOL. And so they go viral. Right. And this is the kind of idea that goes viral. I know what viral looks like. I had a Modern Love column in 2013. I, I've been viral before. This is going to go viral. Prepare yourself. And he said, okay, well, we'll go online and we'll block my parents on your Facebook account and you know, privatize your Instagram. And I was like, we can do all of those things, but I can tell you from experience because I tried Here this before comes. in 2013. Yeah. Right. It doesn't work, they will find out. And he was like, okay, well, we'll, f we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So the piece within, uh, the piece went up at 9 a.m. on August 5th, I wanna say, August 7th maybe. By 10 a.m. I had gotten over a thousand emails. Wow. I knew it was viral. Right. I knew it was viral within minutes because of how many. And those emails are people you don't know just commenting. All on. people I don't know. Okay. Right. In just to give you sort of an idea of the volume, I ch can go on the back end of my website and check like hits or whatever. Mm -hmm. In one day, I got seventeen thousand hits to my website. Whew. One day, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And are you, do you actually read them or does it just hurt to read? I read stop? every single one. Wow. I respond to almost none. But I did make a very fun Instagram story with the hate mail or some of it. Okay. You know, the yeah. most like pressing hate mail, mm. the most poignant hate mail. Right. The most I, creative and witty most, hate yeah, mail. I enjoyed the one right. that said, um, I'm reporting you to Child Protective Services. <laughs> 
That was fun. I got a couple of those. Yeah. I enjoyed the voicemail. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, guy who Googled my cell phone number and wow. called me and left me a message. Yeah. Wow. I feel so Stalker. important. I know, it's really good stalkering. <laughs> Um, I enjoyed the one that said, I hope you die of cancer. That was nice. Wow, that's, that's lovely. Compassionate conservative. Sure, yeah. Um, I got one from some guy that was like, you're just some stupid blogger. You're probably not Republican because you're not in the Republican tax bracket. And I was like, should I send him my W-4s? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, any any, any uh, uh, love? Anyone oh like, my oh my God, God we got to so hook up? so much love. No, I, I would say yeah. it was probably like, 60% love and 40% hate. But the thing is, like, for my purposes, as someone who enjoys starting the pot, and also, like, just as a creative person, I find the hate mail more interesting. Sure. Uh, any political pervs? Um, I got some weird shit. I mean, like, there's just some weird shit out there. I, I get a lot of weird shit in general, so I, it's hard to even distinguish. At some point, I stopped reading Twitter because that tends to be the most toxic of sure. social media. And I, I, ne I did not make my Instagram private, but I did make it so that people who were not my friend couldn't comment because someone tagged the Secret Service on one of my posts. So, wow. Yeah, okay. like I had like a post about Donald Trump, and they tried to like, I guess, get me ar arrested. I don't really know what that would entail. I didn't. Now that's a good story. I mean, you get arrested for. For, Go ahead, for, for free speech and for writing, Stupid yeah. Funny. Although journalists are public enemy, I forgot. So right. Um, <clears throat> so so that's August, and so what's Thanksgiving like at your house around well, the table? <laughs> traditionally, my in-laws don't come for Thanksgiving, so that okay. wasn't a problem. I I have not seen my in-laws since last February, and I am going to see them in April. So I guess. So in the I'll article you named, you uh, is the family's name or just no? I did That's not good. do that, That's but good. I will say that they knew because they called my husband. Um, it might shock you to hear that they were really pissed off at me. Um, <laughs> my mother-in-law said to my husband, she said two things which sort of resonated. One, she said to him, "I want you to promise me that Hannah will never talk about us again," and he said, "I." have no control over what she does. She's a writer. This is what she does for a living. If you don't want to be talked about, I suggest you don't do things that would call your attention to her. And that's funny. Yeah. yeah like, okay. okay. And she also said um, that she had found it really embarrassing. And both my husband and I had the same reaction to that, which was if you feel embarrassed by a recitation of things that came out of your mouth about, say, I don't know, Muslim people, which I put in the article, yeah. you might be well served not to say such things. Mm -hmm. here's, your, here's, your, here's your learning moment. Right. Right. Wow. So and, and any any weird shit mailed to you? or are I you got a postcard in the mail, yeah. um, which was just a copy of one of my tweets, which I thought was weird. Mm. But like, you know, very it, Has it subsided? Because that was this year. Yep. That... Um, that is pretty much subsided. But I mean, I will tell you, I write for The Independent UK um, about once a week. I send them an, uh, an idea for an op-ed and they are pretty responsive to me. Um, I get a lot of hate mail sort of ongoing. I get... Um, are you still targeted because of this? I wouldn't say th that. I would say that I... I only ask because if Glenn Beck is picking you up uh, on The Blaze and Fox and Friends are talking you about it. Oh, yeah. yes, they're always onto the Johnny Come Lately. Yeah, it's so. like they've got they've got like new and like other uninteresting things to talk about. I mean, people hate, you know. 
they focused on i i would say that probably lasted for a month or two mm-hmm. and then now interestingly enough i mean because i get hate mail from all directions i published two articles about tulsi gabbard whom i do not like mm-hmm. got tons of hate mail for that and, what, and what's your issue with tulsi uh uh, well, I'm not a fan of like a representative in the House of Representatives going to meet with a Syrian dictator and not telling anybody about that. Yeah, that rubs me the wrong way. That, that's an issue. Yeah. Um, and being a defector in an impeachment vote and voting present when there's a very clear yeah. violation of precedent. Good point. Yeah. I mean, that's gross to me. Yeah. So I don't know what she's trying to prove. Um, so I got some pretty aggressive hate mail for that. And then I got... I mean, the, Hate to say it, guys, but like you, Bernie Bros, like need to chill the fuck out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Do Bernie Bros now. are Bernie Bros aren't hating on you, are they? Tons. Me? Really? Oh yeah, I'm like a lightning rod for Bernie Bros. Right. They love me or hate me. I don't know. The they biggest, love to hate me. The, yeah. Well, the biggest problem is they have that kind of absolutism, as in the, it's the a Trump purity race, test. Where it's just like exactly. Yeah. And if you disagree with them, they're right. up in arms, and you're all of a sudden the enemy. And then, as we know, that's not the way real democracy works. Right. We love to hear dissenting voices. Well, the weird that's thing the is, truth. I'm I'm an Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. voter until she's no longer viable, and you know, I can't see a sort of a more linear progression from one candidate to the other than from Bernie Sanders to Elizabeth Warren, but. Apparently she's a corporate shill and Hillary Clinton's emails. I don't know. Whatever whatever the objection is to me. <laughs> we are in a, in a very strange time yeah. um, politically. So I think it's great that you found your writing groove back because you went from this is what you wanted to do into the food and wine restaurant business and now back to writing, which is amazing because, thank God, because you can give insight to, uh, you know, food, wine, and and then you become a political writer as well. Are you getting job offers because of that as well? Like, I get a from lot like HuffPost saying, "Can you do another piece?" Or um, that's not typically how my job w- works. It's more me pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I sort of I've had I did have job opportunities through that. Like I had editors reach out to me for tangential stuff. Like they saw that piece and then went and looked at my portfolio and saw that I was largely food and beverage and gravitated toward that and asked me to pitch them. Um, that It happened in two specific instances. One was with HuffPost has a food and wine or a, a food and wellness division called Life. And mm-hmm. that editor saw that piece, reached out to me and said, hey, why don't you pitch me for this department? And I've written five or six pieces for her since then. And an editor at Slate, um, saw my portfolio when I was pitching him for something very unrelated and was like, I this pitch is not right for me, but I've noticed that you write a lot of food and wine content. Um, I'm looking to expand our coverage. Can you help? And I pitched him and I have a piece that's um, coming out soon with him as well. So that's exciting. Very cool. Well. Yeah. What did I pick today for Hannah? I picked Teutonic uh, Wine Company Riesling 2017. Uh, this is Barnaby and Olga Tuttle. Uh, they're in the Columbia Gorge in Oregon. Everything is dry farmed, high elevation. Um, and he is a just a huge uh, Riesling fan. And he is a off the gridder, basically. I think he bought his first uh, pile of grapes. His first thing of grapes where he sold his like 78 Camaro to make his first vintage. Uh, he's a total like, 
hippie, crazy guy, but the wines are spectacular. He does Pinot Meunier, Riesling, uh, all sorts of field blends. I love these wines. And this reminds me of you because you're kind of an off the gritter, <laughs> off the, you know, you're not the normal uh, straight middle of the path kind of person. You're a feisty fighter and uh, so is Barnaby and so are his wines. So here's to you. Cheers. Yeah. Wow, that's really still bone dry, like yeah. apricot, mineral, high acid. Oh, this guy makes some fantastic wine. Definitely that stone fruit, but also sort of like that slate quality that you get yeah. in good Moselle Riesling, I yeah, would yeah. say. For sure. Uh, so how do you like writing uh, food wine? So you move out of New York City and you move out to the island and you're doing a lot of food writing for... Uh, um, yeah, working out in the Hamptons and uh, so uh, what's your favorite kind of place to go out there and like what what's the like the transition switch to be out there as a mom two kids and now just constantly pitching articles it's so gradual that I think like you don't even perceive like how your life changes until you come back to some place like New York and you're like oh yeah this used to be my my thing but mm. um, I quite like living in a quieter area I I as I mentioned, I'm from northern New England or mm. northern Massachusetts originally. So yeah. um, it was natural for me to return to an area that was close to the beach. Mm -hmm. um, and that part I really like. Uh, I started my freelance career by really immersing myself in the local scene and talking to local newspapers and getting work with local newspapers and establishing myself as sort of a local authority, which gave me credibility, I think, within my community and also in the world at large and um, and in that sense I'm really lucky because a lot of editors kind of um, will come to me when they need a food and wine piece written there's not a lot of people in my very small area doing what I do um, but that being said Long Island has a lot going on uh, we have a huge sort of robust wine scene which I'm sure you know um, the North Fork is crazy we've got combined on all of long island we have just about 50 wineries wow yeah okay so if people are going to drink wine from the north fork in long island what are they going to drink because as we know there's a lot of plonk out there but yes. now i'm going to put you on the spot to recommend yeah. a couple of wines they should they should look for well there's sort of a lot of different ways you can go first of all you should know about long island wine is that the majority of the quality winemakers are making old world style wine with the geography in mind and also mm. like the you know the understanding of climate we're not getting california temperatures on right. long island we're a maritime climate um we have moisture issues yeah so um harvest is a little bit i mean this is all going to change with climate change but harvest is typically in september mm. with some considerations um, on the North Fork in, I want to say, South Hold, Sparkling Point is doing Method Champenois Sparkling mm. Wine. They do fantastic Blanc de Blanc. They've got vintage uh, sparkling. They also do like a crown cap, fun, playful. Oh, fun. Um, oh. Yeah, you know, like Chrome, uh, Charmotte style uh, sparkler. Do you have a favorite couple of producers that uh, people should look for? Or? For sure. Um, Definitely Sparkling Point is great. Mm -hmm. uh, I like Macari. I think they're always doing really good work. They've got 500 acres of vineyard space um, that's grandfathered in from like the original owner has mm -hmm. been growing vines there forever. Um, he's fantastic. At McCall, uh, Russell McCall has been doing really great work for a long time. He makes some very nice blends. His, blend, his Ben's Cuvée, which is like a claret... Um, reserve 
sees time in oak, sees bottle aging kind of thing, nice wine. Channing Daughters does some really cool stuff. Channing Daughters is on like the Like Rubola Jala yep. and like things like that, right? So Christopher Tracy is the winemaker over at Channing. He's um, very, so on the South Fork where I live, there are actually only two real wineries. There's mm -hmm. Wolfer, sure. um, where Roman Roth is the winemaker, and there's Channing, which is uh, J. Christopher Tracy, Chris mm -hmm. Tracy. Um, the climate on the North Fork is just better for winemaking, but the South Fork guys, both of which are, I mean, they're within you know a mile of each other. They're making it work. He does a lot of um, inventive winemaking. He's doing some really interesting vermouths. I don't know if you've seen oh, them. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. So he has a whole line of uh, aromatic vermouths that are designed to pair with the seasons, and they have different aromatics in them, and they're called like vermouth style number one or number two. Right. I mean, you'd have to look up the exact ingredients and they're only available at certain times. He does seven rosés every year with different varietal blends. Oh, that's cool. And then he does like, he has a crazy muscat. He does like orange wines. He's very innovative. He's pushing boundaries. Yeah, those are some cool stuff. I, I, I mean, had them at, at, in kegs, right? Yep. Everyone heading out there in the summer, where are they eating? Where are they I'm eating? your food writer. What, what's the favorite restaurant that you've written up recently? Like um, last summer would be recently. Uh, well, no, I mean, I eat out in the Hamptons. Yeah. See, we have a lot of year-round restaurants, actually. Right. It's changing. Right. Um, Montauk will probably never be like that. Montauk has a year-round population of about 3,000 and a summer population of over 30,000. So yeah. they have no need to open restaurants in the middle of the winter. Right. But East Hampton, Sag Harbor, and Southampton, you will find year-round restaurants. Um, I know he's a friend of yours, David Lowenberg, who I also know very well, has um, a couple of restaurants, yep. um, Bell and Anchor in Sag Harbor. Uh, again, I shouldn't tell you guys this, but they have dollar oysters every <laughs> single Sunday year round, year round, except for like the three weeks that he's closed in January. So yeah. I go and see David a couple times a year. I always have dinner at Bell and Anchor. We do a tasting out there and we usually get a tent top and you know, a little bit of New York snobbery is, is sitting there, and that food is some of the best food. It's really and it good. Doesn't, it's just as good as He's any New York restaurant. He's got the dollar Montauk he, pearls, and Keith Hernandez is reliably sitting at the end of the bar. Uh, really? If you're a Mets fan, which I am not, <laughs> but I do talk. He's like he's a wine collector. Yeah, I, would I mean, really. he's one. He's like. He's like a douchebag wine collector, but you know, he's a wine collector. Okay. We, we'll, we'll, I'll explain <laughs> you might have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Keith. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, and, and speaking of that, I mean, there must be, there's tons of celebrities. Alec Baldwin's out yes. there, and we've talked about this. Um, Do you want me to list all the celebrities sure. I've seen? Yeah, or, or anyone <laughs> you engage with? I saw Jimmy Fallon with? at Kmart last year. Yeah, what, what was Jimmy <laughs> buying? Shorts? Flip-flops? Nothing interesting. Like, I mean, it's so weird. Like him. Yeah, he's Sorry, very no. tall, and he yeah. hates mushrooms. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I I feel like I know all of them, like... The, the first time I saw McCartney, I was like, I said to, I was working at Nick and Tony's, I said to the meter D, that guy looks a lot like Paul McCartney. And she was like, like, is there something wrong with you? That is Paul McCartney. <laughs> but he's only like 5'7". Yeah, that's, uh, sometimes it's, it's, I didn't it's disappointing it. to it meet wasn't, your it's heroes. Just like, it's yeah. just weird. He's yeah. such a larger than life figure. Sure. Like he, he matters to everybody. Yeah. And yeah. he's. I don't want to. I don't want to call you diminutive, Paul. I'm just saying that, like his music is. is <laughs> no, your music is huge. It's huge. Music is He's huge. got huge music. 
<laughs> he's a vegetarian. Oh, okay. All right. Is there any favorite celebrities you like seeing or you have dealings um, with out there? Oh, it's so hard. Do you want to hear um, who's not my favorite celebrity? Yeah, that's even better. <laughs> of course. I saw Ina Garten at a party, and I feel really bad because, like, I've I've met her on a number of occasions, and I asked if she would take a photo with me, and she said no. And I just have to say, like, that is not nice. That is not, not nice, nice. Ina Garten. You live in the same town as me. Like, we live a mile yeah. away from each other. I am a food writer, and... That was not nice. It was not yeah. nice that you would not take a photo with me. And explain to me who Ina Gardner is. She's Ina Garten. Um, she, Garten, yes, who she is, she? is the Barefoot Contessa. Oh, okay. Yeah, the cookbook oh. author. Oh, well, that's even more I shitty because you're a it fucking cookbook. Shitty. Like, it was fuck really you. Shitty. Billy Joel is kind of cheap. I don't know if I really? should say that on the air. That, yeah, I mean, can. he's he, he. It's not that he doesn't tip. It's that he like joins people's tables and drinks their. Oh, well, actually, he, Steven Spielberg doesn't tip on wine. What? Yeah. And he buys like thousand dollar wine, and he doesn't tip on wine because yeah. he's he's well he's only worth like eight hundred million dollars. Like, but to be fair, I waited on Gwyneth Paltrow one time with Jay Z, and her husband at the time, uh, Chris Martin and Beyonce, at BLT Prime. Okay. And Jay Z ordered a ninety six Latour. No, Jay Z drinks wine. He drinks wine, yeah. and the Kobe, which we were selling for like. $300 an ounce or something bananas. It was a Tuesday night. And and I assumed he was going to pay because he was ordering all the baller stuff. And she ordered like tuna, which was so stupid. But <laughs> you came to BLT Prime. Right. And at the end, she took the check and paid with her black card and boom, tipped boom, 10 boom, boom. per cent. No. Yeah. I hear you. I see you, Gwyneth. And I know, uh, and I know where your house in Amagansett yeah. is. I yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we talked about her vagina candles. And, I mean, uh, how do I know just, that that really smells like her vagina? And would I want to buy that? No, and no. just like, maybe that's not, that's not that, that's not what that smells like. That's just, <laughs> like who are you kidding? Like, someone, I don't think she has a vagina. Someone to you. <laughs> I, I, I don't think she has a vagina. I think she's a robot. She's so asexual, it's fucking frightening. I mean, she's married again. Oh, Oh. To the guy from American Horror Story. So that actually explains it, now okay. that I think about yeah. it. She's, she, I think she's a robot. I think Zuckerberg invented her and built her. And uh, Well, he should have invented a robot that tips 20% is all that's, I'm saying. That's you know? true. That's true. That's sad, though. When you have that kind of that? fucking yeah. money. And, and Spielberg, I don't fucking tip on... I like him, but... Oh, this is going to end up getting me in trouble, but... He makes wine in California. No. What's he make? If you had to guess a shitty white varietal, what would you guess? It's, of course it's Chardonnay. No. No. Sublong? No. no. Even shittier. Oh, then it's Viognier. No. What? Think shitty varietal shitty. that has no flavor. That, that requires no oak. or From California, though? No, not necessarily from California. I'm just saying in general. Uh a pick pool fucking much more basic than that if i were to say santa margarita what were you to say are you fucking kidding no, makes I'm a not. Pina, a pina pina from california mm, yes delicious yeah it's 19 percent alcohol <laughs> <laughs> 
E.T. says, go home. <laughs> he left me two bottles one time and he was like, I really want your opinion on this. And I like couldn't, I, I couldn't face him. Like, I used, how do I tell you that your Pinot Grigio is bad? Like, I mean, it's really it's, hard to make bad Pinot Grigio. But it's from California. Yeah, it's fleshy. Why would you make fucking Pinot fleshy Grigio, a high acid white that should be grown in a cool climate in the hottest climate on the fucking planet? Because... Because he's fucking clueless and surrounded by people who go, yes, yes, Mr. Spielberg, another genius idea. I was no. sitting next to some people at the bar the other night and they ordered Pinot. We'll have two glasses of Pinot. And I was like, do they know? Do they know that it just means grape? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. it We're could talking mean so many shit things. about Steven Spielberg. Yeah. That's fucking great. So where are people eating if they're going to the Hamptons? Give it to them because summer's oh, yeah. coming. So where are they going? We're going to go see our boy, the sides Bill and Anchor. Anchor. Right. Dave um, my good friend Justin Finney is the incredible chef at the Highway Restaurant and Bar in East Hampton. And Perfect. every month they do an Asian night. And he does like very compelling Thai food and it, it's sort of like a melange of different Asian cuisine and that's really interesting. I mean, his food in general is interesting, but that's particularly interesting. Um, can't say a bad word about my honest man restaurant people and that's the Nick and Tony's guys who also own a restaurant called Rowdy Hall and they have Townline Barbecue oh, cool. and La Fondita and Coche Comedor, but Nick and Tony's is always... That's a benchmark institution I, it's out there, right? an institution. Right? They've been oh. open for over 30 years and uh, they do very... Um, they do... I want to say like farm to table Italian. Like okay. it's sort of like it's the the running thread is Italian, but there's also a lot of like they're doing Dr. Dish with Sean Barrett, who provides um, he purveys for Keller and Dan Barber. Um, oh, cool. He's got a Montauk based fishing company for sustainable seafood. Where are you going for your favorite little hideaway bar out there? Oh, favorite hideaway bar, like a dive bar? Yeah, dive bar. Favorite um, dive bar. My favorite dive bar would have to be um, Liars in Montauk, which is, I mean, it's truly a shithole. It is open 365 days a year. I've been there. It's open late, too. Oh, yeah. It's like Salty Sailor. Yeah. Place. Like, it's okay. Yeah. open like cocaine late. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, no. <laughs> nothing good happens at four in the morning. I'm I, not saying I've ever done cocaine. I'm just saying that no, some no, people in the world have. That's a great description. Cocaine late, though. Yeah, it explains it, it all. Yeah. Late. I was there. Uh, I went out to do a tasting event in Montana, hung out all night, and somebody took me there. Like, I'm going to take you to this place, but I'm going to warn you, it's salty. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I fucking, yeah. Leon. Like, Did you know that they make incredible... Um, mudslides there? No, because yeah, I would never drink you would a goddamn ne- And also, you would never want to ask them because they get so pissed that and they have to make it. But All right. be aware that they make a very, very good mudslide. Okay. It's I like don't... a mudslide and a half. What's like in you... a mudslide? Fucking Baileys. I don't know. <laughs> Chocolate. <laughs> Nothing good for you. It doesn't sound like a real sailor bar. I'll take a mudslide, two grasshoppers, and... <laughs> a pint of Coors Light, please. A pint of Coors Light. Uh, well, super cool. Uh, where do people find you? And I want them to look up your articles because you yeah. are a brilliant writer. And uh, we, I know you have something great breaking we're not going to talk about. It's on the record. It's coming. It's coming. Um, but your Trump article got you huge success. And yes. And- all of that stuff is available at my website, www.hannasellinger.net. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Yeah, dot net. Dot net. I, I couldn't yeah. get the dot com. And I think that's one L. Is it correct? It is one, one L. L. Um, I'm also accessible on Twitter at Hannah Selinger, H-A-N-N-A-H-S-E-L-I-N-G-E-R. 
Cool. Well, I want to thank Hannah for being on Drinking on the Job. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Quail. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. 